0: You're listening to a message from Maranatha Church of Jacksonville. For more information, please visit our website, maranathajacks.com. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Pastor Brian here. Um, we're going to try something new as we go through this book of James. Um, oftentimes when we talk through a book or look through a book, there's way more to discuss than we have time for on Sunday morning. So we figured maybe some kind of online Bible study might be a good way to go through some of that stuff. And so we may have ways to interact with this as we go along. We're kind of figuring it out as we go. I want to send out short messages on Wednesdays that kind of dig a little deeper into certain subjects as we move through the chapters and also, you know, fill in some of the nerdier bits that I find interesting that you might as well, because it gives context and might bless you, to know some of the things about this. So God's Word is deep, and we can go as deep as we can or have time to. So I hope this blesses you. And so, like I said, we're starting through the book of James. Uh, right now, we'll go, be going through it this fall. Um, and like I mentioned on Sunday, the author of the book is Jesus' brother, uh, just like the book of Jude. But also, in kind of like the book of Jude, uh, we for some reason, we changed his name his name's actually Jacob, but we call the book James. Has kind of been anglicized. I don't know why we do that. Uh, so sometimes we may refer to James or Jacob interchangeably, just because <laughs> that's the dude's name. Um, and if you start googling around on this stuff, you may see that some people go, "Well, I don't know if this is the same James or Jacob that." You know, is actually Jesus' brother. And there's reasons people think these things, but most people agree this is actually written by Jesus' brother. One of the reasons people um, sometimes doubt that is because the original Greek that it's written in is maybe what they would say is too sophisticated for somebody of his social status. But then other people say right after that, yeah, but a lot of times people would hire other scribes and people to write down, like kind of like a book editor would kind of gather the thoughts of a person and put them into paper. So uh, that might've answered some of those linguistic problems. I don't actually speak Greek, so I don't have a personal um, opinion on that. Uh, But if you do see that, that's probably a lot of what people are talking about. Some people look at the words on the page and some people look at more of like the meaning of what's being said. This is like Bible scholars versus theologians or whatever. And people like to debate about stuff. Um, I don't really have a dog in that fight. I think the argument as I was reading through it um, outside of the language and analysis seems to imply that it's more than likely that uh, this is Jacob, Jesus' brother, actual brother. Um, And like I said, it's kind of a collection of teachings. uh, And one of the um, commentaries I was reading said that no other New Testament letter contains as many references to Jesus' teaching per page as this book. And it's kind of like him repackaging stuff Jesus taught um, for the readers of his day. Um, as a good cross-reference, if you're doing some Bible studying, um, a lot of the contents you find in this book of James are rephrased portions of Jesus' teaching that are found in the sermon on the mount and the sermon on the plain as it's usually referred to the sermon on the mount a uh, good reference is Matthew 5 through 7 and it's just Jesus stacking teaching upon teaching most of these i'm sure even if you're not like even if you're new to the faith you've probably heard a lot of these things because they're almost quoted you know just as good sayings you know um even the lord's prayer and then the sermon on the plain uh, you'll find that in like Luke 6, starting like verse 17, I think. It's like halfway through or something where it's like a bunch of people come around and Jesus starts teaching. It's listing off some of the same stuff, some different stuff. Um, but then you find a lot of cross-references to this book of James as he's going to. But like I said, he doesn't just quote it. It's kind of a reapplication for the context of the people that uh, that he was talking to. And what what was happening was a lot of these Jewish believers— because um, it's mostly he's writing to Jewish people. It does apply probably to everyone, but he's writing immediately to a lot of people in this context of they're Jewish people, so there's social um, and political value to that under kind of a Roman rule, which is there's tension all ready from that because it's outside rule in this area. And then now these people have come to faith in Jesus and they're sort of being considered outcasts from their Jewish community as well so you've got Jewish believers in Jesus who are maybe feeling pressure from social pressure some economic pressure from uh their their other Jewish uh family and friends that aren't um, following Jesus because they're being you know looked down on maybe and then also the the Roman situation which is somewhat exploitative and so they're they're finding themselves in a position where their faith in Jesus puts them at odds to their uh, surrounding environment, their culture, their society in ways that maybe are, I think, kind of a good similarity to some of the stuff we might experience in our lives here. We aren't experiencing persecution like some people do in parts of the world where their lives are literally in danger and they have to live in an underground you know, church situation or something like that. But these people weren't either. They're not being oppressed in that sort of way where they're being like, you know, arrested and killed. They're just kind of being cut out of deals or not invited to things and, you know, oppressed financially. the more extreme parts of it would be, you know, that they're financially being oppressed in ways that actually are having kind of detriment to their families and stuff like that. So these guys are getting pretty mad about it because that's the situation that, you know, that would cause a lot of frustration. I would be mad about that. So. James is saying, okay, I'm gonna take these teachings, or Jacob's saying, I'm taking these teachings of Jesus, and I'm gonna help you guys see what to do in that kind of moment, which I think that's great because we need that kind of guidance right now in our lives, because as Christian people, we're finding ourselves increasingly at odds to our greater culture. It's like you're being viewed as a hypocrite or a bigot, or you know, all the scandals that are going on in the churches and just the differing values that our greater surrounding culture is starting to live by. They're not the same as ours. And so we're being viewed in a lower and lower status. You know, maybe a couple generations ago, if you said, yeah, I'm attending church or I'm following Jesus, that would give you what we might call social capital, meaning people would look up to you for doing that. Now, if you just kind of put out you know, I don't know, on social media and stuff, I'm following Jesus, the greater culture that we find ourselves in in our country in America would probably start to look down on you for that and think of you as being closed-minded or a bigot or something like that, especially if you implied at all that this faith in Jesus had anything to do with reality or anything beyond just making you feel good. You know, the moment you start saying, no, this is actually a real thing and it really matters to everyone, that's when people really start, you know, maybe making fun of you or cutting you down or anything like that. And then so he's saying, let me give you some help on how to approach that. And you start to see right at the beginning, after he says greetings, the first statement, he says, kind of starts to frame this whole thing for us. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I think this is going to be kind of a frame of mind for us in this time and us as we're going through this book because it tells you how you need to be and it's not the natural way to be because when people are mean to you um for any reason it makes you mad and it makes you frustrated and you and you want to fight back um and he immediately says you should consider it joy when you experience these these um trials of in of many kinds because you know that this testing will produce perseverance in your faith. So he's saying he starts to lay out. And as we went through on Sunday, how God can use all of these things um, for our betterment, but it's not an easy thing to go through, but that's the framework he gives us, you know, not to be always angry all the time, which you see kind of modeled out there in the world, you know, be, be outraged, be very outraged. And he's like, no, consider it pure joy. And so, that should—you can pause right now and think about that. You know, what parts of your life have you been just outraged, very outraged, instead of considering it pure joy, you know? So that's something to think about. Another thing I wanted to bring up is in verse 10 and 11, I had to kind of brush over this really quickly on Sunday. Uh, it says this, But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. But for the sun—for or the sun rises with scorching heat, and withers the plant, it blossoms and falls— Its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And this is kind of an intense uh, thing to highlight. And it does say that, uh, um, in one of the commentaries I was reading, again, this is another Greek analysis, so it's not something I have an opinion on personally, is he's saying that he's not speaking specifically, he says he's not speaking specifically of the idea of wealth or, because he uses a different word when he talks about wealthy Christians. He's talking about Um, rich people who put their faith in their riches, something like that. Um, And so he's not saying that having money categorically makes you uh, a bad person or that having money uh, categorically puts you at odds with God. However, when we start to uh, look a little deeper into this, we do need to Take pause, like I said, referencing Jesus' teachings in these other places. On Luke 6, 24 through 26, it says this, But woe to you who are rich, for you, are already, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how the ancestors treated the false prophets. Not the good prophets, the false prophets. And so I think I agree with this commentary that this is not saying that wealth by itself is in and of itself evil, but there's a quite a big danger in it when you start to look at this bigger picture than some of these other teachings of Jesus, even like when he encounters the rich young ruler and stuff like that. The challenge of putting our faith in God versus putting our faith in riches. And if you remember the camel through the eye of the needle bit. And so this is the one thing I wanted to say about this, um, because... We come from a wealthy nation. This should give us pause and invite some reflection, you know, because we, like I said at the beginning, yeah, we want to identify with the people that are under low-level low persecution in this book. When well, we should and we can, but also being from a wealthy nation, it's very easy for us to put our faith in our riches. And Jesus has told us, and J- Jacob's rephrasing here, that you can't do that. If you put your faith in your riches, then you're not really putting your faith in God. And what does that even mean? This is where the reflection comes in. I mean, you might just start asking yourself this how much of my life is built on the exploitation of others economically? You know, where do our products come from? You know, how does our society function? Does God care about that? I think He does. Uh, how much of my faith in God is affected by my sense of comfort or whether or not things work out for me or the things that I have? You know, when your life is disrupted, um, specifically, maybe even economically, how much does that affect your faith in God or does it or should it? You know, I don't think it should. Um, Do you doubt God when those kind of things happen? Um, That might be an indication of how much faith we're putting in him versus our status or comfort or something like that. I also think it would apply even to even more frivolous uh, understandings of maybe status even on Things like social media and stuff like that, you know, being well liked, like he said, you know, when everyone speaks well of you, you know, there's different kinds of riches other than just literally money in a bank account. So I want to invite us as we go through this book of James to prayerfully engage this book, both as giving us comfort and in instruction, as if we're experiencing what these first century Jews were experiencing, these Jewish followers of Jesus, um, because we are and we will increasingly, you know, our culture is not going to be friendly to us just because. We put faith in Jesus, they're going to be increasingly probably less friendly, mm-hmm. and we need to know how to address that. But also as a challenge to us, because, you know, we are we live within a culture. We're not of the world, but we're in the world, and it's very easy for that to slip in. And so we should also read these passages as challenges to our lives when we find ourselves basing our lives on our wealth or our status or comfort, which is far too easy to do if we want to admit it, you know. I'll read this, Matthew 6, 24. It's another reference that Sermon on the Mount here. Says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's just another warning of the same sort. I'm giving you the picture of how uh, James, the book of James is rephrasing and reframing some of these um, teachings of Jesus to apply to a situation. But let's close with this. I mean, we don't want to close on a super downer. Um James 1 the last couple verses of what we were going through this week which is verses 16 through 18 of James 1 Do not be deceived my dear brothers and sisters every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of all he's created. And so God is, He's you know, if you remember reading through that, you know, He's saying that God is giving us gifts and He's the good giver and it gives us life. It brings life versus us our desires to give birth to sin. And so, really, all of this warning even to rich and about trials and temptation is about us opening our eyes to seeing what God can do with anything. And it's so merciful to us, truly, because when we put our faith in our limited understanding or our limited wealth or our limited sense of control, um, when it's disrupted, everything gets disrupted. But when we put our faith in Him who doesn't change, like the shifting shadows, or He's referring to, you know, stars moving around and things like that, um, everything's good. You know, that I heard Tim Keller say that if, we're going through something and we reflected if Jesus, and he's meanwhile, probably dying of cancer. Um, he's going through the treatments. He was saying that when you reflect on things like that, if Jesus truly rose from the grave, then everything's going to be all right. And so I want to pray really quickly um, and then send you on your way, but encourage you keep reading the book of James uh, as we go through this, this week, verses one through 18. Kevin's going to be sending out these emails every day Um, Engage with this because this is going to challenge us and comfort us in this time. So, Father, I pray that your word would do in us the things that it would do, that you would have intended it to do. I pray that um, you are the giver of good gifts, Lord. I pray that we would receive those gifts through your word. And I pray that you would open it as a light um, in our lives. And I pray that you would bless your teaching to us as we apply it um, in our situations today. In Jesus' name, amen.